You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon to all our listeners. Welcome to another Drive Time show here in Voice of Islam. You're listening to Anik Rahman, and I've joined by my co presenter. Uh, his name is Dr. Tariq Bajwa. Peace be upon you. Peace be on you and all of our listeners. Uh, well, it was a very chilly uh, evening. Indeed. Uh, but I, th- I hope that our discussion today and uh, <laughs> the topic will warm you up uh, regarding uh, a conference which was held in um, in uh, Abu Dhabi. Hmm. Uh, was it Dubai or Abu Dhabi? Abu Dhabi. Yes, Abu Dhabi. Yes, Dhabi. Yes, yeah. uh, on the thir- 12th and 13th of December, it's called G20 Interfaith Forum. And, uh, of course, some warmth from Abu Dhabi will make us warm as well. So the the forum uh, was centered around the theme of engaging faith communities, G20 agendas and beyond, and was under the patronage of His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al-Nahyan, President of the United Arab Emirates. It was jointly hosted by the G20 Interfaith Forum Association and the Interfaith Alliance for Safer Communities and over 100 leaders from diverse faith communities gathered for it. On both these dates, we reviewed the topics that were under discussion and spoke with our team's representatives who were present at the event on what they picked up from these engagements. In today's show, we will look back and review what the essence of the event was, what interfaith dialogue means, and how can such events change the course of things for the future. Islam, of course, strongly promotes interfaith harmony, Showing respect towards people of other faith is a core Islamic principle. Moreover, it is the need of the hour that we put aside our differences in every aspect and join hands to solve issues that affect us all. Allah Almighty mentions in the Holy Quran, and of those we have created, there are a people that guide men with truth and do justice therewith. So, interfaith dialogue can utilize the uniqueness of religious traditions and provide the inspiration and guidance necessary for populations to move towards conflict resolution. Ahmadi Muslims all over the world are engaged in grassroots efforts to distribute millions of peace leaflets to Muslims and non-Muslims alike, host interfaith and peace symposia and present exhibitions of the Holy Quran to present its true and noble message. Such dialogues are an important tool for those who seek to end violent conflict worldwide. Through interfaith dialogue, each faith group can make its unique contribution to the common cause of creative coexistence. Interfaith dialogue is not intended to be a debate. It is aimed at mutual understanding along with problem solving and not pointing fingers or placing blame. So the G20 Interfaith Forum was an exemplary event that highlighted issues such as education, racism, refugee crisis, conflict resolution, and more. 
So in the midst of conflicts today, it is crucial to put aside differences and use our commonalities to bring benefit to each other. And this is this is a teaching, basically the teaching of the Holy Quran. And the myriad of issues that impact us today, no, no religion or race. We have been reminded of that time and time again. When calamity arrives, it impacts everyone. We saw the struggles brought on by the pandemic and how it affected all. We see the world on the brink of war, and we know the devastation will not be contained within a few borders. Hence, it is up to us and our leaders to promote rational talks and subsequently put those talks into action. His Holiness, uh, the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmed, also says in this regard that the people of all nations, religions and cultures are found in all countries. This requires that a leader of every nation and the government should strive to create laws that foster an environment and spirit of truth and justice, rather than making laws that are a mean of causing distress and frustration to the people. Injustices and cruelties should be eliminated and instead we should strive for true justice. The best way to do this is that the world should come to recognize its creator. The world does not belong to one race. There are religions, they are cultures. And Allah the Almighty states in the Holy Quran that, O mankind, we have created you from a male and a female, and we have made you into tribes and sub-tribes that you may recognize one another. Verily, the most honorable among you in the sight of Allah is he who is the most righteous among you. Surely, Allah is all-knowing, all-aware. To recognize one another means to recognize and respect the rights of other people. This verse lays down the basis of an all-comprehensive, all-pervading brotherhood of man. The verse in fact constitutes the Magna Carta of human fraternity and equality. It lays the acts of at the false and foolish notions of superiority born of racial arrogance or a national conceit. All men having been created from a male and a female and have been declared equal in the sight of God, the worth of a man is not be to be judged by the pigment his skin, the amount of wealth he possesses, or by his rank or social status, descent or pedrigi, but by his moral greatness and by the way in which he discharges his obligations to God and man. So that's what the interfaith, you know, whenever they have any kind of event, if they are coming together and having an event where they're discussing and all the uh, people among uh, from different regions are coming together, the reason is to tell that what their religion says, what good is in there, how we can do something better for this world. And again, the G20 summit, which happened in Abu Dhabi on 12th and 13th of December, of course, there was one of the reason to discuss what better can we bring to this world and uh, how we can do it together. For this, we will be having some guests to have a more insight uh, of the summit 
two of our you know members uh, of voice of islam he they were there in uh, abu dhabi they have you know interviewed people they have uh, you know seen and uh, they were the part of the discussions which were held in in the summit and we will be going to them and listening to them what they have experienced and uh, we will listen their views um as regards engaging the youth you know the large part of the community belongs to youth hmm. and uh, according to the statistics today there are over 1.2 billion young people around the globe these children are our future and they are the ones who will be dealing with the consequences of the problems created today global issues including climate crisis war food crisis inflation drug abuse declining mental health human trafficking the list unfortunately keeps growing so one look at the statistics given by the united nations is a shocking eye opener 225 million youth or 20% of all youth in the developing world are not in education employment or training 21% of young people are illiterate in conflict affected poor countries 14% of adolescent girls and 18% of boys aged 13 to 15 years in low and middle income countries are reported to use alcohol 15% of all international migrants are under the age of 20 while 23% of migrants in developing regions they fall into the age into that age bracket the universal nature of 2030 sustainable development goals agenda by the united nations entails that youth should be considered across all goals and targets but specifically for four areas youth employment adolescent girls education and sports for peace moreover young people are recognized as agents of change and trusted with fulfilling their own potential and ensuring a world fit for future generations close to half a million youth around the world have taken action on climate change through sgp that's a small grants programs projects in their homes schools and communities in the ahmadiyya muslim community we start involving our youth at a very young age ensuring to take into consideration their perspectives and build a community in which they are empowered to make the world a better place they grow up participating in humanitarian campaigns and are taught to run their own events for example million pounds of food is a com- campaign by our community in canada recently they run solely by our youth in which uh, <coughs> over 1 million pounds of food were raised for food banks across canada the holy quran guides us in the following words you are the best people raised for the good of mankind you enjoy what is good and forbid evil and believe in allah our second caliph hazrat mirza bashiruddin mahmud ahmed uh, the second caliph of the ahmadi muslim community um it is his saying that he stated nations cannot be reformed without the reformation of the youth and and this is exactly what is uh, done in the ahmadiyya muslim community that the the youngsters they are engaged right from the beginning from their childhood as they turn into um both uh, both uh, girls and boys and they t- turned into young khudam uh, they are called when they uh, cross 15 years of age um and uh, similarly they become lajna uh, from nasrat so these are the the names given to to the youngsters and they have their own independent events which they organize and they are the main they play the main role 
and they have a target to achieve, which uh, uh, they uh, they get while they are doing that independently under the supervision of the seniors. They do uh, get the experience uh, to uh, hold or the shoulder the responsibilities which are going to to be put on their shoulders uh, soon in the near future. So they are, they are getting ready. However, you know the change. You need a change which cannot be brought uh, until the change is from within, from the society. We cannot, uh, we cannot expect a society to, to change itself unless the, the members of society they change, they change from from inside. Indeed. Uh, now we will go uh, to uh, some audios, which uh, the interviews, uh, you know, were taken in the summit by the members. Before going to our guests, we'll be listening to those uh, interviews. First interview was taken from Professor Cole Durham. We will listen to it. And after that, we'll listen to another, uh, you know, interview which was taken from Sarah Hees. And please listen to these interviews and then we'll be get back. Thank you very much. What is the G20 interface? How does that, what's the link? between the G20, which is such a political side. It's all about you know, how do we policymakers. But this religion, how does that, is there a link? Yeah, so uh, let me first say, just for your the record, my name is uh, Cole Durham. I'm the president of the G20 Interfaith Forum. I realize you can edit professor. that. Thank you very much, Professor. Uh, so uh, the G20 Interfaith Forum is a really important initiative because it provides a platform in which religious leaders, religious authorities, uh, religious actors can contribute to global policy. Uh, I think that one of the things that people don't realize, the G20 is viewed primarily as an economic and financial organization, and it grew up in response to financial crises. But over the past decade, each country, each host country, has chosen priorities that tend to align with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. This is lowering hunger, uh, incre increasing education, uh, environmental issues, uh, 17 altogether, I won't name them all. But it's turned out that this is a very fruitful area for religious groups to engage together, and they can join better on common problems. People talk a lot about dialogue, but what's really significant is getting religious groups to work together on common issues. And, and these are the kinds of things that are uh, motivating uh, religious policy, the motivating secular governmental policies, but this is a place where partnership with religious communities can really add insight, add energy, add altruism, and make a big difference. Yeah. It's just, uh... yeah, it's very, it's very clear that uh, part of what this organization can do is have direct impact on yeah. G20 policy formation. But in many ways, even more important is bringing these groups together yeah. to meet together, sure. so that we can identify common priorities and work together on them. All right, joining us here at the IF20 is Sarah Hess from the WHO. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. First of all, within the WHO, for the benefit of our viewers and listeners, what do you do? I work within the Department of Epidemic and Pandemic Preparedness and Prevention. 
um, looking at building sustainable partnerships. Wonderful. You spoke in this morning about the code of conduct for good leadership. What, what was your experience? Why, would you, why, why did you say that? Or what exactly did you mean by that? What I meant by that was when you have a global crisis where there is a lot of uncertainty and a breakdown in trust in institutions and leadership and science, which is something we really experienced during um, the pandemic, I think the world really needs leaders that are inspirational and committed towards a, a common good and, and common objectives. At least from WHO's perspective, yeah. those objectives would be health objectives, right? Sure. And so often I think when we have spoken over the last couple of days around uh, values and virtues that are, are common across different religions, um, and these were spoken about by the religious leaders yesterday in the opening, many of these can be translated mm -hmm. to other positions of leadership within the world today. Wonderful. Now, we spoke about the role of uh, faith-based organizations and communities during the pandemic. We know how big of a role they played in getting the vaccines rolled out, mosques being turned into vaccine clinics, churches, temples, synagogues. But because you work in prevention, what role do you think for the future can faith-based communities and organizations play to, I wouldn't say prevent pandemics from happening because I think we know that this is not something that we can guarantee, but how to maybe control the effects or to, to, to soften the blow a little bit. Well, be think, prepared. I think we, it's not maybe necessarily something new that needs to be done, but rather a formalization of what's already happening. So I think we've heard a lot in the sessions about the role that faith partners play across all perspectives of health uh, service delivery from primary, secondary and tertiary, um, as well as the spiritual care uh, provision, palliative care. And I think what's important and what's missing at a national level is to really have um, an inclusive partnership where the different roles played by national governments, played by faith partners, are formalized, institutionalized, and mutually supportive. Wonderful. Lastly, I want to ask you, the topic was lessons learned from COVID. <laughs> what lessons has the WHO learned? And on a personal level, what have you learned? I think uh, what WHO learned, well, WHO learned many, many things. And I think uh, one of the main things that we learned is that we're so interconnected and reliant on each other that uh, there needs to be um, partnership um, at a global level that's then reflected at national level. Really acknowledging, um, and I think I, you know, I mentioned this in, in, in my comments, acknowledging that the different partners bring something of equal value to that partnership. Um, and I think that's been a learning for me too. Uh, there is a, a real need for, for mm. humility and, and, and meaningful engagement yeah. across these different uh, divides. Wonderful. Sarah has, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Welcome back. You were listening to Professor Calderham and Sarah has um, the interviewer taken in the summit in Abu Dhabi from one of the members who attended uh, from Voice of Islam. Now we'll be moving to our first guest, and uh, uh, he himself was there on the summit, and you have heard his voice. He was taking the interviews. Uh, can Raza Sahib, Assalamu alaikum, Raza Sahib. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. Thank you very much for uh, joining us today. Before going to the question, can I ask if you can share that? How did you find the summit? 
Um, so I, I think it was overall it's a very unique experience, and I was very um, privileged to be sent on behalf of Voice of Psalm to be one of the team members who attended that summit as one of the very few media outlets that reported on that. And I think it was a, definitely a, a huge learning curve for us uh, to see how these decisions or these suggestions, basically, that are, that are going to be presented to the G20 nations and to the G20 heads, how they come about. And uh, I think this is just the first step. Uh, I know that it is a huge conference, meaning people coming from all across the globe, coming together to deliberate and to to, to suggest to the G20 nations things that they need to be implementing, things that they need to be deliberating about. But the work, I believe, and that's something that we've taken away from on the, on the second day, that these groups and working groups, they keep going throughout the year, and it is a continual process. Of course, there's only so much that you can do and discuss within, within two days. But Alhamdulillah, it's been, it's been great for me personally, and I think the whole team as well, to, to see and to learn how um, this whole process goes down. Indeed. Uh, how, how do a dialogue such as the Interfaith Forum promote peace, and how effective uh, do you think these events are? So I think this was something that uh, was addressed during the conference about the effectiveness. Um, it's relatively new, so this concept or this this, this summit is relatively new. Um, I think uh, from what I've what they've said, it was like seven years running, seventh or eighth year. So it's it's fairly new. However, um, the idea behind it is that. Um, to make it more effective, I think in the last couple of years, what they've used to do is that just one or two days before the G20 summit, you would have the G20 interface summit, and then they would suggest these ideas to the G20 states. But because it was really, really close to the G20 and people were busy with, with, the, with the event and, and whatnot, the host countries, there wasn't so much focus on that. And when we spoke to Professor Cole, and I think Catherine, she mentioned this as well, that the, the reason why it was moved, let's say, six months apart, because the next G20 is going to be in India in, in September, mm-hmm. um, taking place in India. So there's enough ample time beforehand to get these ideas across, to write them down, to send them to the heads of state, to send them to the, to the G20 and say that, look, Faith-based communities and faith and community leaders, faith community leaders, are an integral part of the society. They have done some tremendous work in the pandemic, and I think here at home, we know way too well what role religion played. We, from the Ambient Muslim community, I mean, we had vaccine clinics open up all across the world, all across the globe. Even, yeah, I don't think it would be wrong to say that mm-hmm. in the UK specifically. But uh, as well as, you know, at the very, very beginning of the pandemic, you had Khudam, members of the auxiliary organization, going around asking people if they can do their shopping, if they need any help, if they need any medicine, or any help whatsoever that was done by, by the auxiliary organization. Humanity First was on the front line with the with hotline as well. So, I mean, this is just one community out of so many um, that, that did their part 
in order to, uh, you know, soften the blow of the COVID pandemic in the very beginning. So that is something that world leaders and, 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 and these um, decision makers, they know. They know about how big of a role these faith communities have played. But for the future, how do they contribute to certain topics, for example, anti-racism, for example, child dignity, for example, food poverty, etc. So all the points that were discussed there. How do they contribute to these issues in order to create a peaceful society? That is the link that needs to be created. So as far as the efficiency of this event is concerned, I'm sure, from what I've seen, I'm sure it is going to grow, depending on how much influence is going to be um, exercised on the G20, how that goes about. But I think it's definitely on the radar of the policymakers, definitely on the radar of the G20 states, um, based on the fact that it is a, 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 a huge platform for experts and for um, you know, professionals of, of their field and faith leaders, faith community leaders, to attend this event and to make those, those deliberations and suggestions that really, really can make an impact on um, on the situation of the world, hopefully to the to the better, inshallah. Indeed, yeah. How much of a role of uh, you know, do faith communities play in resolving world problems? Oh, huge. I mean, again, this is something that, that was discussed as well, that when it comes to, to let's say, education. So one of, one of the issues that was discussed was education. Education... And what faith and faith communities and religion, what they contribute to education is that you get a, a holistic worldview of things. You get um, to, to, to speak to children and to tell them that, look, we have the same source. So it's not just a secular knowledge that is imparted to the next generation. It's about the connecting with the spiritual, the connecting to the divine, connecting to faith, which helps you to go through difficult times. And as far as uh, specifically, you look back the last three years, if you just look at the last three years, how much, again, the point that I mentioned just right now, how much have people learned, how much have people relied, and how much have people gone through the pandemic with the health of their faith, gaining strength from their faith. And that's exactly the role that faith has or should play. His Holiness, the community, has said this over and over again, that when, if you want to have that peace of mind, and even talking to uh, political um, players and political actors, if you want to say, when he went to the Capitol Hill, when he went to the European Parliament, when he went to um, different parliaments around the world, and when he talks about World War III, for example, that is impending, or some people already have said that it has started, he has been talking about this over and over again, that there's two things that we need to do, two things that we need to to apply in our lives in order to make sure that we do play a significant role. And one is that connection with God Almighty, which has been severed. 
So this is not, again, just him saying, this started with the promise of Messiah of almost 100 years, over 100 years ago. He said that if you want to have, um, if, you, if, you, if you don't have that relationship with, with your Creator, then nothing really will ever make sense. And it's only as I said that this, crea- this, this connection with God Almighty will ultimately lead to the fact that people, when they become God-fearing, people when they become righteous, when they become uh, servants of God Almighty, that there is no room left for them to be unjust, that there is no room for them to be cruel, for them to be intolerant, to f- and all of these immoral qualities and attributes that, that, that you can think of, because ultimately you don't have an ulterior motive, which is what we see in the world today, isn't it? That everybody has an agenda, everybody wants to do something because they get something out of it. Indeed. You have these wonderful charities and NGOs and representatives of these NGOs who literally, they go into these crisis zones, they go into these war zones, mm. sacrificing or risking, risking their own lives, for what? For the good of mankind, to give back to society, because their children starving or because their children in danger. And that's exactly what our role as mankind, as humanity, not as Muslims or Christians or Jews or individuals, no, as mankind, this is the role that we should play, and this is what, what was intended when, when, when God created us. But again, as we know, we have free choice, <laughs> we can make mistakes, mm. and uh, people can be selfish sometimes. And unfortunately, we see um, more and more of that in the world. But as long as the world leaders, as long as policy makers, as long as it, that behavior does not trickle down from the top, there's still some chance, there's still some hope. But if we have corruption at the top, if we have um, injustice at the top, if we have immorality at the top, then there's little to none hope that the rest of the population, the rest of the, the, the human race, has any chance or has any hope for, for betterment. Yeah, indeed. Um, we often look towards political communities to resolve the big issues like poverty, refugee crisis, climate change. How can religion and politics work together? Yeah, so I think that um, politicians are people, right? Mm. Policymakers and politicians, the people at the top, the, the political um, players, they're also people, and everybody has a set of values. Everybody has a uh, you know code of conduct. Where do we get that code of conduct? Where we where do we get those you know set of values from? It is what our society teaches us. It's what our our community teaches. What our parents teach us. Um, and all of these things they 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 are brought from somewhere, aren't they? I mean, and we, we know we've spoken about this at the, on the draft so many, many times that for me personally, this is, this is where religion comes in. And when we look at how can you combine religion or faith with, with politics, can they work hand in hand? Can they go together? Yes, of course. But it depends on the person who's at the top, right? If you get your strength and your, your moral set of values from your faith, from your from your religion, 
And that's a very wonderful thing. And we've seen that in the history at the time of the Holy Prophet, how he showed us with his own example, with a practical example, how both of these things can go hand in hand. They don't have to be separate. It doesn't mean that if you are a politician, you have to be away from religion. That if you are a religious person, you have to be away from, from politics. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be. Yes, we do believe in the separation of church and state, yes. But it doesn't mean that the things that you like and you love and you you learn from your faith, that they cannot help to improve or to solve the problems that the world is, is, is facing right now. The fact that we have separated the two on, on a certain level, right, and me as a person, me as a as a policymaker, me as a politician, that I am just a politician when I make decisions, maybe that's one of the issues. Maybe we have neglected the wisdom and the, the, the positive impact religion or faith has on me as a person in my decision making. And because we have left that out, we have, have gone down the way or the path where everybody is interested in what's good for me. What, what do I get out of it? And that definitely, in my opinion, is not a good approach. Yeah, no, it's good. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, we see, uh, we have saw uh, the role f of faith played during the pandemic. They helped people, they did everything. But however, more and more people seem to be moving away from it. What do you think about this? Well, uh, it, it, I think it depends, certainly, on which... Um, part of the world you look at. Yeah. Yes, here we, we've had the statistics, uh, I think we've spoken on some of the shows uh, recently as well, about um, this country not being a, a, a Christian majority country anymore. But if you look towards other uh, parts of the world, their spirituality and religion and uh, you know they, they, they are increasing. Islam is one of the fastest growing religions even in the United States. So there's more and more people starting to accept Islam, becoming Muslim. But you're right. Uh, if we are living in a more and more materialistic world where people have unfortunately gone away from religion because they don't see any results. The reason why I say that is if you don't okay, what's, what's the benefit that I'm gaining out of this, right? Why would you believe in anything? If you, if you know, for example, if you have a car, that you don't really see the benefit of having that car, why would you drive that car? But if I tell you, because that car is going to get you from A to B, that car has Bluetooth, that car has fuel efficiency, that car has this, and you can see it, you can feel it, you can feel the comfort of that car, you can see uh, the, the, the speed of the car, you know, you understand what I mean. Yeah. Then I have more inclination to, to buy that car, hmm. to, to own that car. Now with religion, what it is, it's very nice and shiny from, from the outside, it looks very nice, but there's no, um, you know, concrete benefit that people are seeing, meaning they pray all the time. Well, what happens to those prayers? Are they accepted? They're probably not accepted. So 
within the ambience community, that was one of the reasons why the Promised Society uh, on Humble Peace came, to rectify this concept that God does not speak anymore, that religion is outdated, religion is not needed, right? Mm. He said that God speaks, but it, it depends on how you approach God. There's different ways to approach God, but the fact that He speaks, that fact remains. So within the Amdi Muslim community, His Holiness, Hazrat Muhammad Sulaiman, Allah strengthens His hands. He talks about this over and over again, giving practical examples. That these are some of the examples to show that God accepts and listens to those prayers. He shows Himself. He He manifests Himself in different forms and different shapes. What kind of God would we believe in that created mankind? And He spoke in the past, but now He said, you know what, I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm not having any conversation. I'm not having any contact with my creation whatsoever. That's not a God that we believe in. So to make that clear to the public, to make that clear to the people, that's what we try to do in, in our daily lives. That we, that's what we try to do here at Ozo Um And, and well, it works in different ways. But I think to generally say that people in general around the world are moving away from religion. I don't know if the data for that exists. Here in this country, certainly it does, yes. But um, from my experience, that's just in the more materialistic, the more worldly-oriented that society is, mm. the less people will see the need for God you know, at that certain point. Yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Imam Raza, for joining us today and giving us insight of the summit and the answer to the question. Thank you very much. So it was uh, Imam Raza, and he was the, one of the team members in Voice of Islam, and he was there in the summit in Abu Dhabi. He attended and he has taken some interviews, and he shared his experience uh, of uh, G20 summit and answered some questions uh, in regards to uh, you know so the, the interfaith summit uh, we had. Now uh, we'll move to listen another interview which was taken there in the summit, and uh, Reverend Sister Agatha was interviewed by uh, one of the member. We will listen to it, and we'll be uh, back after that. So with uh, Sister Agatha from uh, Nigeria, you made a very very interesting point this morning, talking about when when we were talking about the youth and now engage them, that in the next time we meet here at the Interfaith Forum, that you actually have people who work at a grassroots level to show the world that it is working. Why? Yes. Uh, you know, I, I made that comment because I believe in action. I'm a practical person. I believe that, you know, we can talk from now till the next generation and if we don't see any action to back up what we are saying, I think we'll be wasting our time. So I know that, you know, um, in as much as we are interwoven with this crisis, untold crisis, which we have created for ourselves, which both the government, all of us, we have created for our universe, I still believe that a lot of people at the grassroots level are burning out everything they've got in addressing this situation. The young people are working so much in the, at the grassroots level to carry other young people along in the areas of climate change, in the areas of peace building, in the areas of development, in the areas of coexistence, 
a lot of people are working at the grassroots. They are doing a lot. And you know what? With little resources, with little support, with little recognition, they are doing all that without pay. So I think it's time we begin to recognize them. I think it's time we begin to support them. I think it's time to begin to portray their voices, what they are doing, so that they will encourage others. They will encourage other young people to come up, they will encourage other communities to come up. Yes, talking is good, dialogue is wonderful, but we don't want to end them. We don't want to end them. We want to end it with action. Action that is working. Practical actions that is working, that is uniting the communities, that is rebuilding communities. That is what we want to see more. So, in 2023 in, 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 in India, we want to see young people, women, leaders giving us the stories of what they are doing in the communities that are working in addressing the issues, the challenges we are facing today. Welcome back. Uh, we were listening to Reverend Sister Agatha uh, from the G20 Summit, which was held in Abu Dhabi. As we were discussing uh, before and uh, Imam Raza discussed in depth that, uh, you know, there's a need everybody for everyone to connect themselves to God and has given very beautiful example of the car that you know if you know the you know what is good about the car and what it does and of course you were tempted to buy it similarly uh, you know one thing when we move towards faith and if we are not inclined towards faith just because our prayers have not been heard one thing we need to understand that for this world for anything regardless if we discuss let's see if we discuss the example of a car we earn, we work day and night for after very long. It normally takes 20, 25, 30 years if a normal person to, you know, get on the, that position to get that uh, car or any other materialistic thing. And that person, you know, he goes to school, he does university, he does uh, PhD and other, and he starts working and, uh, you know, works for a good five, ten years and then he's able to get, a, you know, amazing car. Similarly, if we think that we are looking for God, we want to connect ourselves to God and we're just praying for a day or two or for a week and we think that, you know, we can find God and God will uh, answer us back, even though he does whenever he wants. But our effort should be more than that. We have to work hard in the same way which we work hard for this world. And the day we start doing it, the day we'll see the, you know, we'll see the result that yes, our prayers have been accepted and our effort has been accepted by God Almighty. Now uh, we'll move to <clears throat> uh, our uh, next guest. Uh, is Safir? He's with us. He's uh, one of the member of Voice of Islam, and he was there in G20 summit in Abu Dhabi. And uh, we will speaking to them. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. Assalamu alaikum, uh, brother Anik. How are you doing? You alright? I'm fine. Thank you much. I hope you're doing well as well. Yes, yes. Thank you very much. Jazakallah. Good to speak to you. Uh, before. Uh, Going uh, to the questions, I would like to, you know, listen to your experience as well. How did you find the summit? Oh, yes, it was uh, it was amazing. Uh, just as uh, Imam Raza was saying earlier, mm. it was a very unique experience. Um, obviously, the experts and the leaders that were there uh, contributed so much knowledge um, and expertise and shared that with, the, with us and with the rest of the uh, attendees. Mm. And we had, uh, th th there was a lot that we learned basically from uh, them and uh, the work that uh, 
these uh, people are doing um, in order to uh, you know improve the conditions worldwide uh, mm. you know in in their respective areas so so it was a very very good experience i think it was very fruitful um we we hope and pray that you know um, these uh, voices are heard um mm. on the highest level and people prioritize um these issues so that uh, they can be solved yeah may god bless the efforts uh, now uh, you know the state of the world seems to be going from <clears throat> bad to worse and it is easy to feel hopeless uh, about the future how can we keep up hope in such times yeah you're right um the, if you look at the world at the moment uh, this is <laughs> there's more negativity in uh, of negative news that will be coming your way and uh, you might we might be thinking you know there's no hope um you know a crisis after another crisis and uh, so so yeah that that is an issue uh, but um the thing is that we should not lose hope hmm. um we should always be positive and uh, um you know uh, have faith you know that's exactly i think the best word to use here to have faith and that's something that our teaching um you know uh, gives us it gives us faith it gives us hope and um we also have to remember that uh, there are more positives that are happening around us rather than negatives and negatives are often highlighted more uh, because it's you know it's, it it sells the newspapers or you know it it gives more um uh, it, it receives more attention but the the fact of the matter is that there are some very very serious issues worldwide right now that needs to be solved looked at and uh, it needs the world to be united and uh, we we should always have hope for that um as long as we as a global community uh focus on the issues together um can you still hear me yes i can hear you yes okay so i mean focusing on these issues um positively together uh, is very very important and uh, we should also focus on things that unite us mm. because there are more things that will unite faiths for example together there are more things that will unite humanity as uh, as a, as a big global family uh, together so there are obviously differences but there are small and you know here and there uh, but mostly people are you know united in one thing they want to make the world a better place for all of all of us people mm. want to have their basic rights right people want to uh, have progress um uh, you know lives in a safe environment so all of these things unite us so it's all about how do we get to that position how to how do we achieve that together and that has to be done through unity and through hope and if you don't have hope then you will not make an effort right so hope True. is very important as yeah. i said our faith yeah. uh, teaches us not to lose hope always remember that god almighty is the most powerful whatever we do whatever people are doing politicians are doing whatever leaders are doing this is only worldly efforts ultimately it's god almighty who knows uh, you know everything is is in control so prayers for us is very important to pray for the world pray for um the safety of the world of uh, you know the progress and uh, that uh, may allah help uh, you know people uh, who are struggling then next thing is that we put our efforts into it as i mentioned through unity but also that we help people as much as we can in our circles in our capacity 
And um, of course, uh, we have faith because Allah the Almighty, He sends prophets at times of great difficulties and challenges. So, you know, we should never lose hope in that sense. True. Uh, people seem uh, to be moving away from religion as we see every day, especially our youth. How do yeah. we preach that religion holds the answers to our everyday issues? I think uh, if I was to just quickly say that, uh, that uh, we first we have to be firm ourselves. We have to uh, make our uh, faith stronger. Then we mm. have to invest in, in prayers and uh, establish a connection, living connection with Allah the Almighty. So try to make ourselves good examples, lead by example, um, show people that, yeah, religion really can change you, can improve you. And the best example is you are going to give is yourselves. Um, if you are not a good example, then other people will not believe you. And then also the next point is to show the solutions uh, through the religious teachings and through your own experiences. Indeed. Uh you know, with limited resources and unequal distribution of wealth, how can we train and guide our youth to tackle issues of a global magnitude? Yes, of course. I'm going to keep this answer short as well because mm -hmm. I know you're heading to the news very soon. But it's, it's, the thing is that it's not really about resources. It's mm. about the willpower and the drive and the will of the people. If people really want to change, they can change with limited resources. If you want to make a change and if you are you know, uh, steadfast and, um, you know, uh, strong in your desire to to make a positive change, you can make that uh, without, uh, you know, uh, great resources. Um, you know, if you look at the prophets, for example, you know, they, they, they obviously had a lot of the Almighty's help, but also pious people, they, they, they try to work hard and they have strong will and they have, uh, uh, you know, a drive that, that makes them, um, and also successful people, they don't have to be religious, but you see, if they make positive changes, they, they make it through their uh, strong will. So that is the main thing. Resources is another thing that is, uh, you know, but you don't have to have resources to make a change. A person can also make a change by, uh, by, by uh, having a passion for something. And one, I think one has to educate themselves first uh, in whatever capacity, and then impart that knowledge to their communities, to their circles, and start from grassroots level to do that, uh, to make that effort in improving people's lives, um, to then also try to then move forward to influence then the people who are higher up or the authorities or policymakers, to try to also, you know, educate them and tell them that these are the issues and this is how it can be solved. So suggest in that way, giving them obviously examples from the grassroots level, and then, um, you know, for young people, of course, they have to be proactive because it is their future. So young people have to take control of their future um, because nobody is going to uh, care much about it um, unless, you know, the young people, the young voices, they uh, make a concerted effort, a, a positive, uh, determined effort to, to make positive changes for the future. Indeed. Uh, what were your key takeaway points from the Interfaith Forum? Um, my key uh, points, of course, I've, I mentioned some of those, but just quickly to, uh, to, to go through them, I think poverty in education is one of the biggest challenges in the whole world today. Uh, it's even bigger, I would say, than climate change, because climate change, uh, uh, of course, is a very, very big issue, but it is affected by you know the issues of poverty in education. If you 
focus on that poverty in education, try to alleviate poverty and try to increase education for everyone in the world, you will automatically see that the climate issue will also be changed. Um, the second thing that I took away was that, unfortunately, there is very little action on these issues that talks about poverty and education and helping people. People, you know, G20s or these big countries are more focused on their economics and, you know, their uh, their desires or their, you know, plans or what they want to do. Whereas we need to understand um, that the main issues, if we don't fix that, then the whole world will suffer. So global pollution, global issues is actually a reflection of the inner state of, of people. So global leaders, they need to set aside, you know, their agendas and unite to save humanity and then also to save the planet. But that has to be uh, done now because now is the time. Indeed. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Safi, Brother Safir, for joining us today and giving us inside of the summit and answering the question. Thank you very much. Thank you. We were listening to Brother Safir. He was the member, you know, he is the member of the Voice of Islam radio and he was there present in the summit in Abu Dhabi. And uh, we have heard his experience that how do you find uh, the summit? Uh, of course, we are just uh, heading towards the news. I would like to share one of the, uh, you know, explanation or the saying of the the, the, the current caliph, uh, which he states that it is up to all members of society, whether Muslims or non-Muslim, whether religious or non-religious, to work together for the peace and prosperity of the world, rather than making allegations against one another or pinpointing each other's flaws and weaknesses. We should open our hearts to others and show grace and compassion instead of attacking each other's religion and needlessly provoking one another. It is the urgent need of the time that we exhibit mutual respect and tolerance. So now, after that, we have heard the guest. Of course, it's very important that we should come together, we should discuss uh, the, the the challenging we're facing in the world together and find a better solution so we can achieve the better tomorrow. After that, we will be going to listen the news and uh, after the news, we will be back and we will discuss another interesting topic. Please join us back after the news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace and blessing of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back after the news break. Uh, in Voice of Islam, you're listening uh, to Drive Time Show. Myself, it's Anik, and I've joined by Dr. Tariq Bajwa. Uh, we have discussed a very uh, you know, uh, important topic about G20 Summit, Interfaith Summit, which uh, happened in uh, Abu Dhabi uh, on uh, th- uh, last week. And uh, <clears throat> now we will be uh, heading towards of another topic, which is very important, very interesting topic to know how the language started and which language is the first language, which language we can consider uh, to be first language and, you know, the mother of the tongue. And uh, we will be discussing uh, this in depth and uh, we will be, you know, looking into the topic, which, uh, of course, it's uh, Arabic, which we will be discussing, which is mother of all tongue, all languages. And 
we will be having some guests who will be giving us insight that how we can prove that uh, you know the Arabic is the mother of all languages. Yeah, really, it was um, it is a surprise for for me to know that the Arabic language is one of the most widely spoken languages in the world, used daily by more than four hundred million people. Uh, normally, I, I, I think that uh, just just like me, there are many people who would not even imagine that because uh, most of the time you think, oh, well, it could be English, it could be Spanish. Um, uh, but that is the you know mostly spoken languages, but Arabic. Uh, but if we consider the number of people who speak uh, Arabic, uh, all the countries uh, and their origin, then of course we realize that yes, that is true. The United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, which is called UNESCO, commonly regards the Arabic language to be a pillar of the cultural diversity of humanity. And in the diversity of its forms, classical or dialectal, from oral expression to poetic calligraphy, the Arabic language has given rise to a fascinating aesthetic. Um, in fields as varied as architecture, poetry, and philosophy, Arabic, of course, is also the language in which Allah the Almighty revealed the Holy Quran to the Holy Prophet. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Uh, although it can be said that uh, all the revelation which has come upon the prophets of their time, um, to whatever nation they belonged to, the revelation was in the same language as uh, as that nation uh, spoke, and and uh, their prophet was revealed uh, the uh, the the message which was supposed to be for them in the same language as they spoke, uh, so that uh, Allah the Almighty makes it easy. Uh, for people to understand it and to act upon it. And similarly, the Holy Quran uh, was revealed in Arabic because uh, the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, he was uh, Arabic speaking and he, he belonged to Saudi Arabia, um, uh, Arab to be correct, actually, at the time. And um, so in the chapter 12, verse 3 of the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty says that we have revealed it the Quran in Arabic that you may understand. So obviously this is God Almighty telling that the, the reason why the Quran was revealed in Arabic was so that you may understand. So the best understanding of the Holy Quran uh, was supposed to be in Arabic language. The holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the promised Messiah, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he has actually written a book titled Arabic, the mother of all languages, because he is the one who claimed that the Arabic is the language of God Almighty, and the, and that is the first language that the message or the, the, the language learned by Adam, the first prophet uh, on earth, uh, on whom he peace, he was spoken to by God Almighty in the in the same language, and uh, so so that that was the very first speech. Uh, which was taught to man and was the one taught by God himself and that the speech was Arabic. All the other languages, of course, are offsprings of this uh, this language and they are offshoots, so they have come. Uh, you know, I mean, this is a common experience that if you if you are traveling even within one country, even, if, even in England, you know, if you cross, you go to Yorkshire, 
um, uh, sometimes becomes uh, difficult to understand, even the English. Uh, <laughs> Glaswegian, I have had an experience that mm. all you understand is the sign language sign there. Language. <laughs> um, so it, it changes, uh, the dialect changes, and, and that's why... Uh, you know, it, it, it is. It is the uh, you know the, from area to area the languages they do they do change. So in order to understand and in in order to keep it uh, you know pure, um, there there has been uh, you know you you need to protect the language. And if you uh, you know go back to the time of the uh, of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Okay. Even he himself was sent out into the village. For his early childhood, and the the one of the purpose was that they 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 live in an open atmosphere and they be they remain healthy, and uh, the other main purpose was so that their language is not affected by the local slang language, mm. and um, so they they speak pure Fosa language, Fosa which is uh, the clear and pure language. Uh, so that is why it is very very important. Now the reason we have uh, we are uh, you know speaking on this Arabic language today. One of the reasons is that the uh, uh, this UNESCO, this United Nations organization, which is for social and um, educational, scientific, and cultural organization, they have actually um, pointed this day, 18th of December, as a, a day for the Arabic language. Now there, there, there are various days for different languages, but this is for Arabic languages, and and uh, this is celebrated to commemorate the World Arabic Language Day, highlighting the Arabic uh, legacy and the contribution, uh, its immense contribution to humanity. So th- uh, through this year's theme, the contribution of the Arabic language to human civilization and culture, UNESCO will continue to shed a light on the numerous contributions of Arabic to humanity's cultural and linguistic diversity, as well as to knowledge production. See, Arabic is a language that brings together people from various cultural, ethnical, religious, and social backgrounds. And to mark this year's special uh, celebrations, academics, researchers, experts, and youth will gather to debate on the cultural diversity, that's the experience of Arabic language and synergies with other languages, sharing human values, the potential of digital technologies and modern communication methods, envisaging social cohesion and inclusion through multilingualism. You see, I earlier mentioned that the promised Messiah, the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian, on whom be peace, he, first of all, he declared that he has been told that Arabic is the the, the very first language, and uh, it is mother of all the languages. And then he went on to write a book which is called, uh, its name was Minanur Rahman, and uh, in which he he actually proved that the uh, Arabic is the mother of all the, all the languages. And later on, uh, one of his followers, uh, he actually wrote another book which uh, in which he discreetly, he picked up certain languages, and then he traced them um, to the Arabic, uh, and that's why he proved that whatever he he has said in this book, Manandur Rahman, uh, is correct. And uh, so he has taken some of the languages and taken, and he has. Uh, this is based on certain principles, and uh, these principles of the the uh, of the language. These are the linguistic principles. On what basis you trace a language? At whether this word, what is the root? How this word can be traced back? And the more you know the languages, the more you come to the conclusion that all these words they come 
they are coming from Arabic and the, you can find the root word in Arabic because Arabic is a very comprehensive language and it is also uh, not only that it's a compre comprehensive language but it is also based the Arabic language is made on the basis of the principles that uh, is based on the observation and it's, it's in reality uh, related to when you see something and it is related to that so it's exactly you can find exactly one word which is fits that situation no other word will fit that situation so um, so in that way no other language uh, you know competes with this language now um, we will go to our first guest and uh, we will be you know uh, listening or we will be asking them some question regarding the arabic language and finding out more about arabic language and uh, iman tamim abu daqa is joining uh, us from jordan uh, was born and raised in jordan uh, the first language of course the iman is as arabic and uh, we will be listening to her assalamu alaikum peace be upon you thank you very much for joining us today walaikum assalam for looking your program uh, you know the very first question i would like to ask you that arabic has many different dialects is it difficult to understand uh, the different dialects you know it depends if you are native speaker or you, you are learning from uh, other uh, language but for uh, uh, from a middle eastern overview as mm -hmm. an arabic native speaker actually Al algerian Tunisian and Moroccan dialects are the most difficult dialects to understand. Mm -hmm. It's uh, not because it's Arabic, but the dialect, uh, these dialects took a lot of the words from another languages, uh, which make it uh, uh, far from understand for a native Arabic speaker. Uh, true. What do you think it is important for Muslims to try to read the Holy Quran in Arabic instead of their own or their mother languages? Um, it's basically because, you know, Arabic words and sentences did have a lot of meaning, which is mm. one of the ways that showing how the Holy Quran is miraculous. So the same sentence in Arabic did have a ton of meanings, and they could change or increase all over the time. So um, actually also reading Quran in any other language is actually reading a translation. And it could be abbreviated, and the meaning is depending on the editor's understanding and the time needs. Um, and the, the translation itself, it's um, at some point a letter translation. But Holy Quran have a lot of deep meanings inside it, and you will understand it if you can understand Arabic first. Indeed, and uh, it has a different impact on your soul as well when you read in Arabic the language was uh, revealed on the Holy Prophet, isn't it? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, what do you think uh, is the value of Arabic uh, in, in these modern days? You know, in these days, um, the word uh, language is the, um, the economic language. But, alhamdulillah, Arabic has a big value for the Muslim com community, which make it uh, common. But the word language is based on, on economics. So the language of the country or the region uh, that controls the economy will be the word language. Uh, indeed. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Iman, for joining us today and uh, giving insight about Arabic. Thank you very much. Thank you. As 
Basically, the Arabic language, uh, as uh, was mentioned by our guest as well, that uh, it's, it's a very comprehensive language and, and to exactly translate it is very, very difficult. Mm. And our second caliph, when he wrote a book which is called Introduction to the Study of the Holy Quran, mm. the Bajat Tafsir al-Quran, he has mm. mentioned that um, that difficulty one faces when he is trying to translate uh, from Arabic because you can't find this uh, the lang- the words of the same um, sort of uh, which covers all the meanings which are included within mm. that Arabic word because uh, the, the there is a root word and out of that this uh, this word comes so he he has uh, actually advised that whenever or whosoever translates uh, the um, Holy Quran particularly um, he should put a, a detailed note underneath to explain the the further meaning of that particular word because he, he won't find in his own language the the same word which exactly translates um, that particular word and that's what he did when he he wrote um, he has written um, two commentaries uh, one is a small one tafsir al-saghir and then tafsir al-kabir and he has gone into the details of explaining and actually the um, in the, uh, the the long commentary which is uh, um, he has gone to to the roots the Arabic uh, grammar and from there you know how this word has been made and what uh, meanings are involved in it so he has gone to into details, uh, particularly the long commentary. He has he's gone into the details and explained that. And then he has sen- said that uh, nobody who does not, who is not an Arabic-speaking person, should should translate unless he has a thorough knowledge of the Arabic language. He, he should translate it, and he should use the um, the dictionaries. Um, the Arabic dictionaries should be, uh, and he, he has also uh, given the reference of all the uh, the dictionaries he has used in his translation, uh, and that is that anybody anywhere in the world, mm. when he will read that, he will be satisfied that the the language, the translation he is reading, is up to the mark. It is accepted by the Arabic scholars and uh, by the Arabic uh, dictionary. So no matter what dialect it is, it, it will not change the meanings and uh, and you can understand that correctly. And one reason why one is uh, supposed to read their, uh, uh, even their prayers in the in Arabic language as well as wh- while they can say their prayers in their own language because mm. it has more influence on them, you are supposed to say uh, certain words which, which are, which was a practice of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, so that your heart is affected by that. Because once you understand what you are saying, only then it affects your heart and and it comes from your heart and and your prayers are accepted when they are coming out of your heart and not merely, um, uh, you know, a repetition of the words from... Uh, without understanding them uh, from you, from your mouth, so it's a word of mouth rather than the something coming from your heart, which will be effective. Similarly, the Holy Quran, when it is even when it is read to you, or somebody else is reading it, and many a times it was it happened that um, even the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the Holy Founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Al Qadian, 
<coughs> who was the uh, you know exactly follower of the Holy Prophet Muhammad may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. They um, on certain occasion they um, uh, when they came to know that some some person was uh, able to recite the Holy Quran in a beautiful language, melodious voice, they would listen to 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 him reciting the language and they would enjoy that and they would because they they understood it. It was uh, it would affect them uh, to to the extent that even the Holy Prophet may peace be upon him at one point he uh, st- he stopped him uh, reading further because he could not take it anymore because of, of the strong message the Arabic contains and the and the um, the Quranic language particularly because it is the language of God Almighty and it's got a lot of um, influence on you uh, and it affects your heart. And uh, it, uh, you know, it also, um, you are, uh, uh, you feel the humility when you, when you read it and, you know, to, to what extent, you know, how Allah loves you and how much Allah cares for you and how, when he mentions about the blessings and, and how are you going to, uh, you know, um, to, to, uh, to come in front of him. Uh, you know when all these things, and he mentions one by one, and and Allah, uh, and one realizes when he reads that, you know that that situation when he is going to face God Almighty, and he is going to be questioned about that. So the more you understand the Arabic language, the more you enjoy the reading of the Holy Quran, and if you understand, uh, and I usually give an example to to the children. That uh, you know when uh, you know pre- previously it was letters, but now it's not letters. It's more like email and message or from uh, from the social media. This you say, you know, if, if a message has arrived, you know how you know anxious you are and who you, you are in a hurry to to read that uh, uh, that message. And if if your friend is uh, speaking another language or has sent the message in a different language. You know, you immediately go to Google and translate it. Mm. You you can't stop. To, you know, you can't wait to understand the message because there is no point reading a, a language if you don't understand that. That's why it is is very very important that Arabic is understood. And um, the more you go to the the grammatical roots, although one may find it difficult to go to the grammatical details, but there is a beauty in every word. Every mm. word. Every um, sort of dialect which is used, every, you, there is a meaning attached to it. And uh, the more you understand, the more uh, you start enjoying um, the every word of the Holy Quran. True. You know, even European scholars have had to testify to the fact that the Arabic language is complete in respect of its root. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it consists of hundreds of thousands of roots which are uh, pregnant with the vast variety of meanings. Ibn Jini, an eminent linguist, has advanced the claim in the name of his uh, teacher, Abu Ali, that even the letter of the Arabic language possesses clear and uh, definite meanings. For instance, he declared that the letters Meme, Lam and Kaf, in whatever combination that may occur, express the idea of power. Which is more or less common to the other to the words that are formed with these letters, and are derived from this root. And it is <clears throat> as uh, Dr. Tariqa was mentioning, the depth of Arabic. You know, it is unimaginable. We in 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 the university when we used to open the dictionaries, and we know it's uh, you know you have to go in a very uh, ground level to understand that how this uh, word started from. What is the the first three letters are, and then gradually. 
you know, to make, because there's a structure uh, is in the language. You take a root word, you put on the structure, and that's how you take out the meaning. So it's there are you know three words can be the root word can be four words can can you know it calls sulasi rubai that's how it goes three words four words five words and then you know you can take out the meaning so every you know in, in every word if let's suppose so we are discussing about the playground in in that Arabic as a meaning. That has, you know, they cannot be one person. Has to be two person. You know, the, the, the structure is formed in such a way, which gives us the understanding. The thing we are, you know, we are mentioning, there are two person are involved, or may, more than two person is involved. It cannot be just one person. You know, in English we say it's a playground. We don't know what a playground is, but if you put on the structure in Arabic, we would know whatever it is, but it has to be more than one person. So of course, this language of Arabic is. Very deep, and you know it's very interesting to learn the different meanings of it. And if, as when you read the Holy Quran, you are learning the the words God has used in Arabic, the form, the way God has used is very beautiful. When you read it, the rhyme is so amazing. Then somebody who's listening from outside, he he, you know, he feels peace within himself. He he get relaxed. That how beautiful it is. And God Almighty Himself has mentioned the Holy Quran that even though the words are same. But is there anybody who can? He has given the challenge. God has given the challenge. That can you make a one verse like this? The words are same. If you have ability, you can make one. But because it's from God, God has you know formed them in such a way that when you read it, you feel peace within yourself. You get relaxed, and the rhyme it has is unmanageable. One of the you know there was uh, I remember I can recall there was a. A uh, person or music director who used to, you know, uh, make a tunes. When he heard the Holy Quran, and he, you know, listened to it, he said, "It's you know impossible to have such a rhyme as Quran has in every verse. This is not the uh, one or two pages. It's you know more than uh, you know. If, if let's suppose if you take any Holy Quran, is more than four or five hundred pages of it." And thirty parts, and every single part or every single page, every single verse has a rhyme. And whenever it's been read front of anybody, you know, a person listen finds this very beautiful. And because of that, he accepted Islam. He yeah. said it, it cannot be uh, done by a person; has to be God. And he accepted Islam. So you know, this is the Quran. This is the Arabic language is, and it can be done only in Arabic language because has given. You know the power to Arabic language. Uh, uh, you know a strength that the combination can be such a beautiful thing that when a listener is listening to it, he feels peace and you know relaxed. You know, there was an uh, interesting anecdote when uh, uh, the Promised Messiah, the holy founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, um, uh, he was visited by an English uh, person. Uh, mm -hmm. He was visiting Qadian, mm -hmm. and uh, he tried to explain to him that you know, Arabic is the mother of the, the, all these languages, and uh, it's very comprehensive. And he gave him an example, and uh, he, he had a glass of water, mm. and he said that, you know, how do you say that, uh, that I've got this, uh, this is my water. Mm. I said, uh, I say, I'll say, uh, this is my water. Yes. <laughs> and he said that in Arabic, you can just say my, my. 
and uh, that will mean the whole thing uh, my water yeah. so uh, that was one uh, very the words are uh, so comprehensive yeah. that comprehend all the meaning even though the long sentences yeah. yes yeah you don't have to use uh, the detailed yeah <laughs> uh, because they are, it is it is very very unique because they say uh, like for for snake for example there are about 300 words Hmm. Uh, which are for a specific type of snake hmm. so uh, we see there are four or five which are um, mentioned in the holy quran as well that uh, uh, they are used for snake but each one of them has this specific meaning specific type of snake and it gives the details that you don't have to explain hmm. when you spe- speak that language that it is you know when you say it's, uh, you know john or it is so born or whatever you just need to know the word you need just need to know the word so that that's why it's, it's very comprehensive uh, language and the more you you understand and arabic is the the, the most uh, you know fusa fusa is uh, uh, more like clear language without slangs yeah uh, yeah without uh, dialect and and mm. that's why the holy quran and if you have understood the holy quran the translation then um, you are anywhere you can understand you know a part of arabic you can understand although uh, the dialects as uh, our guest mentioned that if you if you go to different areas the other uh, the words of the other languages have have got mixed mm. even right in in mecca now the language which is spoken in 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 mecca uh, it's difficult to understand because they have their own dialect and if you if you live there then you start understanding that but uh, just on the basis of that you have studied arabic and you know the translation of the arabic you won't be able to understand there uh, basically it's a, it's a slang what they use the, the local uh, dialect language so the word arab conveys the sense of fullness abundance and clearness and the arabic language is so called because its roots are innumerable in innumerable and are full of meaning and because it is most expressive eloquent and comprehensive it possesses suitable words and phrases for the full expression of all sorts of ideas and shades of meaning any topic can be discussed in this language with a precision and thoroughness unmatched in any other you see um, another uh, incidents i remember is that uh, once i mentioned to one of my friends who is uh, arabic speaking and i told him that you know uh, uh, you only read the translation of mm. the la- of the books of the promised messiah mm. on whom be peace so you really don't enjoy the uh, you know the, the depth of the you know of his words because the original word is original uh, and he he laughed at me and he said that oh you don't realize the the beauty of the uh, the uh, the language of the promised messiah islam the books he has written in arabic he said that i he has written about 22 books in arabic and uh, i converted to amadiya just reading those books because i clearly understood i'm a, you know he's he's a mm. scholarly person very well educated and he said that i've read arabic but i could immediately understand that this these words this arabic cannot be written without god's help mm, indeed so this person has to be a man of god and he has had been he has been revealed these words otherwise nobody ca- can can write such um, such uh, beautiful arabic now you so you see uh, the promised messiah on whom be peace he has written both in uh, in prose and in poetry 
and he has written poetry in, in, in different languages, including Arabic. So um, one of his uh, poem, which is in the praise of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him. He has written many in the praise of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him. But one of them is 70 verses and uh, is so beautiful and uh, as far as the rhyme is concerned. Mm. And um, so I, I, I'm lucky that my, my father used to read it. And I remember that, and I'm, I I read it every day, and and you really enjoy when you understand the background of it, and you understand the Arabic language, and and then you read the interpretation which has been written by um, one of his companions, Malana Jalal Jalaluddin Shams. He has written its uh, Shara, hmm. and uh, he has explained the explanation, hmm. the background of each each verse, and you really you really start enjoying that. So, uh, the in the previous uh, was in, in the, for the Quran it is written you know uh, in the in the very beginning of the chapter Al Baqarah hmm. it Allah explains that I am the one who is all knowing Alif Lam Mim and then He mentions Alik Al Kitab that this is a book where it, in which there is there is no doubt and so about the Holy Quran the word book is mentioned which implied a prophecy that it would ever continue to be preserved in the form of a book. In the present verse, uh, it is mentioned, uh, obviously the, the, the reference has been given uh, above, that this, this, in this verse it is mentioned this as uh, the Quran, meaning a book that is read. So in the, f in the first verse it's mentioned as a book and then it is mentioned as a Quran. Mm. So uh, the Quran means that the, a book that is read and uh, which also constitutes a prophecy that it will be very widely read and studied. And that is a fact that no book in the world has, read, has been read or is being read, mm -hmm. you know, even now, uh, every day, uh, more than the Holy Quran. That yes. is one book which is read the most of the time. And uh, even no opponent of Islam can deny that no other book is so widely and frequently read. As a professor, um, Noel D.K. says, since the use of Quran in public worship in schools and otherwise is much more expensive than, for example, the reading of the Bible in most Christian countries, it has been truly described as the most widely read book in existence. Um, now uh, we will go to our <coughs> next guest, Ghadir um, uh, Al-Khawaji, and uh, he was born in Iraq, later moved to UK, and uh, his first language is Arabic language. We will be speaking to him. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Thank you very much for joining us today. Assalamu alaikum, thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Uh, the very first question I would like to ask you, do yeah. you think it is important to learn Arabic? Yeah, um, definitely. I think uh, for many reasons, uh, it's important for people to learn Arabic. First of all, it's um, uh, it's uh, Islamic, um, the main Islamic language, and there is a lot of Arabic people all over the world, um, especially in the UK. Um, I think I think if you have um, Arabic as a second language, you can. You can go anywhere. You can speak to people. You can, you, you will have more opportunities in life, um, as well as the religion. Um, um, you will have more lo uh, uh, knowledge. You will have more. Um, <clears throat> the you get the opportunity to um, 
learn um, and um, explore uh, the Islamic religion rather than listening to um, people, you will have the opportunity to learn Islam um, as a whole yourself. Uh, Gadir, you know that Arabic is called the mother of all languages. Uh, what do you think yeah. that it is? Um, I think, first of all, based on research, um, Arabic is the first language that was taught by by God to um, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's a, one of the oldest languages in the world. So, what was it? The language of Adam, on whom be peace. Sorry. Was it the language of Adam, the first prophet on earth? Um, no, it was uh, it was taught by Muhammad. Okay, so um, so if it was told to, to Prophet Muhammad, may peace be upon him. The Prophet Muhammad, may peace be upon him, only came about fourteen, fifteen hundred years ago. Uh, yes. uh, so it can't be the uh, the mother of the language. Then there there would have been languages before that. Yeah, there was there was a language that's very related to um, Arabic. It's called um, I think something like Samarian. Samar- oh, hold on. Uh huh. Um, okay. Do you think? Do you think it's Arabic? Arabic do Do you think that Arabic should be taught in schools? Yes, definitely. And why do you think so? Um, first of all, I feel like people, um, general in general, people who um, doesn't know English wouldn't really read the Quran in English, and even if they do. Um, it wouldn't make sense to them as a, a but when when they um, actually know the Arabic language, it would be easier for them to understand the religion and the Quran. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and they will true. have more opportunities in life to communicate with Arabic people to learn more from Arabic people because I think um, the, the, obviously the <clears throat> the Kaaba and Mecca is in an Arabic country. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is understandable. You know that, uh, you know, at least the, the the basic benefit is that you will be able to understand the Holy Quran in, in a much better way. And um, so, so, particularly the, the Muslims, yeah. uh, everything you do, you know, you say your prayers. And if you understand the prayers, the philosophy of the prayers, the language, why one particular word is used and um, the, the root cause you start enjoying uh, whatever you're reading so definitely you you will be uh, benefiting if you know yeah. arabic and more and and i was surprised even today i came to know that more than 400 million people in the world they speak arabic so exactly. so that was that was a news for me and uh, i think it's a pleasant news that uh, yes if if I can understand Arabic, then uh, many pe- many people in the world would understand me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. so uh, it's a pleasure uh, that you joined us today, um, Gadir, and thank you very much thank for joining Voice of Islam. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Uh, as you know, thank you very much. Uh, you know, as we were discussing <coughs> regarding the books of the Promised Messiah, we discuss uh, in in detail about this. Uh, I, I've once, you know, I was in field and uh, in, in Sheffield, and as an imam, I've given a book to a professor. He was there from uh, Oman 
to do his PhD. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he has, he, he said, I've read these books. I didn't know that he has claimed to be a messiah. But I, you know, normally I download his books and read it. And sometimes the the, Ruta, the books are so magnificent and the writings are so amazing. Uh, and I enjoyed it. But sometimes I cannot find the words has been mentioned in this. Even though I'm doing PhD, mm-hmm. I can't sometimes understand which word has he has, has, has used. So I explained him, and I'll give him a Jazul Masih, mm-hmm. you know, the the miracle of the Messiah. Yes, so he said, I've, I've explained to him that why he wrote the, you know, uh, 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 the, the explanation of Surah Al-Fatiha, yeah. and uh, why it was important, and why what which word has he has used. And I've told him that he was revealed to him, and God Almighty revealed to himself, and, you know, make him learn those words. And I, I, I asked him and requested him, to go and open the dictionary and search for it and definitely you will find it. And I told him that so many times these questions come up that these words are not in Arabic. Yeah. But even mm-hmm. though they are in Arabic, they don't know about them. And when they go and, you know, search for it in detail and ultimately they find those words. They find that they were being used at yes. a certain time. Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's, it's a miracle Arabic. that God Almighty himself taught the Promised Messiah Salaam, uh, the Arabic uh, language. And if we discuss about the Holy Quran, we find out that even after the demise of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, the Quran, which is, you know, uh, the book which is most recited in the world and most memorized as well, to protect the Holy Quran in the time of the, you know, the first caliph, uh, they, dis- they, they decided to write down the Holy Quran. And later on in the time of Hazrat Umar, the third caliph of, the, of Islam, he made sure there has to be one copy, copy of the Holy Quran in one certain language, which is Fusa. There shouldn't be different, you know, dialects of the Holy Quran and should be sent out to all uh, the countries to protect it. And and in the right now, in this day and age, we find the same Holy Quran which was, you know, uh, gathered in the time of the Khalif. Yeah, I think that was a very important step he took, and that's mm. why that we we don't otherwise, you know, it could have been limited to to the Arabs, and even them, they they would have been a lot of contradiction between understanding and dialects and everything else. Uh, because of the dialects, because uh, some of the um, some of the, the the words they speak uh, even today, you know, there is a difference because in the, in the dialect, one of the examples I can tell that you know, in the Holy Quran comes La Junaha, that there is no um, sin. And, and this Junaha is uh, spoken as Gunah, as a as a gaf in in Iraqi um, language. I've, uh, yeah. I, I've I've listened directly, and uh, similarly when they say Allah Akbar, they will say Allah Akbar. So that's a, that's the difference. Though. Just just uh, um, so it would have been a, a, a sort of a, a very difficult situation, but uh, this is a great job which was done by Hazrat uh, Usman. First of all, it was compiled by Hazrat Abu Bakr mm. Siddiq, the that's very first caliph. On may Allah be pleased with him, uh, and and Hazrat Usman then put all the um, uh, signs on it so that nothing is changed, and we have exactly the same. Quran as it was, and, and even the opponents, they all believe that this is the original copy. Um, the the Quran which we read today is exactly the same as it was revealed to Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be, be upon him, which is in itself a miracle because you know, um, uh, if if you have played Chinese verse, uh, this uh, you know, uh, what is it called? 
uh, when you, you convey the message. Chinese whispering. Chinese whispering, yes. yes. Uh, and then you see how message changes from one exactly. word to another one. And uh, you can imagine <laughs> what would be the situation if it just comes from word word. And it was written down, and so it, we, we've got it. So, uh, so going through one, just one of the verses, which is uh, uh, which has been uh, commented on by the second caliph of the uh, of the promised Messiah, on whom be peace. Um, this verse says, uh, this uh, uh, verse five from chapter fourteen, and it said that, and we have not sent any messenger except with the language of his people, in order that he might make things clear to them. Then Allah lets go astray whom He wills and guides whom he wills, and he is the mighty, the wise. And the second caliph, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, has explained this verse um, in the five-volume English commentary, and he says that the verse does not mean that a divine messenger should receive his revelation only in the language of his people. What it means is that the major and fundamental part of his revelation must be in the tongue of his people, otherwise the conveying of the, his message to those who are its first recipients um, would become difficult. Occasionally, however, a prophet may receive a revelation in a foreign tongue. In fact, such exceptional revelation would serve as a divine sign or a miracle. And, and as we, we know that it happened with the with the promised Messiah on whom be peace that uh, he has revelations in all the different languages. He's got uh, revelations in Persian, he's got in revelations in uh, Arabic, of course, and, and uh, some of them in even in English, although he didn't know a word of English. Yet he has, uh, uh, he has, and, and he has mentioned that I don't know the meaning, but he had the revelations in English as well. So it is wrong to infer from this verse, as some Christian writers have done, that the message of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings Allah be on him, was confined to the Arabs. Such an assumption is forcefully belied by other verses of the Holy Quran, in which the Prophet is clearly, unequivocally declared to be a Prophet sent for the whole world. For instance, in chapter 7, verse 159, and chapter 34, Verse 29, not only does the Quran claim a universal mission for the Holy Prophet, on whom be peace, but the Prophet himself also claimed to be a messenger for all mankind. For instance, he is reported to have said, I have been sent to the black and the red, meaning the whole of mankind. Similarly, he said, I have been raised for all mankind. According to yet another hadith, he is reported to have said, I have been sent to the whole creation. So incidentally, this verse proves that Arabic is the mother of all uh, languages because the fact that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, was sent to the whole of mankind shows that the language which the wise God made the vehicle of his message must in one way or another be the mother of all languages. So that has been taken from his book, Minan rahman Arabic, the mother of all languages. So, um, uh, in, in this book, uh, uh, The Promised Messiah, on whom be peace, he writes that all praise is due to Allah, the sustainer, the beneficent. To him belongs all excellence, grace, and goodness. He created man and taught him a plain language, and out of one language, he created various languages in different countries, just as he created various colors of mankind out of one color. And he made Arabic the mother of all languages. He made it the like of the sun in brightness and, and luster. The Arabic language possesses excellent qualities and signs which, in the eyes of scholars, invest it with the status of a mother in relation to other languages. And these languages are like a shadow in relation to Arabic or like sparrows in relation to a praying falcon. Uh, 
when man was made to evolve through stages of creation, when he was transferred from a state of potentiality to one of actuality, when he was given in his nature and physical evolution different shapes and figures, and some of the varieties of creation succeeded other varieties, and there happened to be mutual differences and distinctions, the process gave rise to many degrees and stages which required to be described as names. Arabic provided them with their names and thus completed its gift as is the custom of all, of rich philanthropists. So this is uh, this is a, a, a portion uh, from the writings of the Promised Messiah on whom be peace uh, in his book Ben uh, Rahman. Uh, that the Arabic is uh, the source of all other languages, the mother of all languages. So uh, the Director General of UNESCO, uh, Audrey Azoulay, said that uh, throughout the centuries, Arabic has been at the heart of exchanges between continents and across cultures. So this is uh, what we, uh, uh, you know, we have spoken about Arabic being the mother of all languages. And uh, and and this this is uh, has been proven, as I, as I mentioned, that one can go and read this book, which is available on the internet from our website uh, alislam dot uh, org. Um, the book Minan Rahman is available, and one can read and go through uh, the other book, which I have mentioned that the, the, the various languages have been traced um, to the to the root their their root to be in Arabic, and Chinese I remember is one of the languages uh, he he has mentioned in in that book. So one can go through and read that, and and one can understand the importance of Arabic because as um, the most progressing nature or progressing religion at this uh, uh, time uh, is uh, Islam. And Islam has been promised to be the dominant religion of the world. And if it is going to be, then obviously the Arabic language is going to be um, sort of, uh, it, it is going to be spreading more and uh, is going to be spoken more by, by more people. And uh, so it is important that uh, that due importance is given to this language. It is made a part of uh, uh, sort of uh, a, a language available, at least if it's not made compulsory, but it should be available in school so that people, if they by choice want to uh, read this language, they should be able to uh, to uh, sort of uh, gain knowledge about this language and be uh, fluent in this language. Uh, in another book, uh, Brahim Ahmadiyya, uh, the Promised Messiah uh, writes that it is not true to say that language is the invention of man. As it says, research has established that the inventor and the creator of human languages is God Almighty, who created man out of his perfect power and bestowed upon him a tongue that may that he may be able to speak. Had language been the invention of man, it would not have been necessary to teach a baby to talk. It would have invented its own speech as it grew mature. But it is patent that if a child is not taught speech, it will not be able to speak, whether it is uh, nurtured in a Greek forest or in the British Isles or at the equator. He has to be instructed in the art of speaking. And in the absence of such instruction, he would not be able to speak. 
the notion that languages undergo changes under human influence is an illusion. These changes do not result from consequences human effort, nor can we determine any rule or principle whereby the human mind brings about changes in language at certain times. Deep reflection would reveal that linguistic changes also take place under the direction of the causa caution like all other heavenly and earthly changes. It cannot be established that at any particular time the whole of mankind collectively or its different sections separately had intended the different tongues that are spoken in the world. It may be asked, why should it not be supposed that, as God Almighty constantly brings about changes in language, in the beginning languages might have been originated in the same way without the need of revelation? The answer is that, in the beginning, God had created everything simply through His power, reflection on heaven, earth, sun, moon, and on human nature itself, would disclose that the beginning and the origin of everything was through the pure operation of divine power, in which no physical means were involved. Whatever God created was manifestation of His power, supreme power, which is beyond the concept of man. The circumstances of today cannot serve as a precedent for the beginning and origin of creation. For instance, today no child is born without the agency of parents, but it is the beginning the same condition had been essential. Man could not have come into being. Moreover, this is a world of difference between changes that naturally occur from time to time in languages and the birth of speech itself in the original void. The two concepts are entirely different. So Hazur has discussed in detail that language has came from God Almighty. God says in the Holy Quran that I taught Adam words and he certainly, you know, must, as you mentioned in the Holy Quran, has taught the words in Arabic. Uh, the whole discussion goes in Arabic. God Almighty has, you know, mentioned. And I should say the first time, this, only, this, this is the only book where we can find that what happened when the Adam was, you know, uh, God had decided to, you know, raise Adam peace be upon him as a prophet and uh, how he taught him to speak how he taught you know the people the start speaking the language he wanted and he taught them and he the Adam peace be upon him learned and showed front of the angels and God has mentioned in the Holy Quran that see you know my I know that what I'm doing I can I, I, I see what you cannot see and I know what you do not so basically God Almighty has taught us Adam, peace be upon him, the language, um, and, and, and certainly the Arabic language is the mother of all languages, and it is, you know, widely accepted, not only by Muslim, but the other scholars to understand that how, you know, deep the grassroots are of Arabic language and how much influence uh, it has on other languages. So, <clears throat> we have discussed uh, two topics today. One, we discuss the interfaith uh, D20 summit, which was held in Abu Dhabi uh, two days back. There was two days conference, which was attended by different uh, people from different uh, interfaith societies. And they discuss how they can bring better change to this world. And in this particular hour, we have discussed the Arabic language, the mother 
of uh, languages and we explained how it started and how God Almighty revealed himself in Arabic, the beauty of the Holy Quran, that how beautifully Quran has revealed to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, the way, you know, God has revealed, the way God has compiled the verses of the Holy Quran, the rhyme it has, it's amazing and it leaves effect on your soul. And whenever you read it in Arabic, the language was revealed by God Almighty. You feel the, you know, the power, it is from God and every single word, you know, brings change on yourself. And uh, for this, um, you know, we have to read the Holy Quran, which is from God. And now I, I would like to thank the producer of this today's show, uh, Aisha Naseem, Taiba Nasir and Saida Tahida Nasan. Zakala for producing. Thank you very much for producing the show and the technical team. Habib Sadiq Saab. May Allah bless you all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Peace be upon you.